Church, let's stand to our feet as we honor the Word of God and welcome our senior pastor, Jonathan Wilson, to the platform. Thank you, Jacob. Well, I won't disappoint you. How many people love Jacob? Come on, give him a big hand. Awesome. Um, let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your love and grace. Thank you for each and every person that's here, every person that's watching online, those who aren't able to join us today. But we pray, Lord, that you would, through the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would encourage that you would cause faith to rise. And I pray, Lord, that as I speak this morning, you would help me to communicate your heart, your love, and your compassion for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, that you created us with a purpose and for a purpose. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Give our worship team a a big hand. And uh, let's thank them. Uh, for doing such a great job, as always. And as Jacob said, I'm so glad that you're in church and that we're right now in day 20 of our 52 days of rebuilding. And uh, uh, I'm going to continue in a series that we've been sharing, and every day we have uh, inspirational thoughts and posts. We're reading through the book of Nehemiah. Um, over the 52 days. Amazing that over 52 days, if you read four verses a day, that's not much, is it? Four verses a day, we read through the whole book of Nehemiah. And um, we're encouraging people to, to jump in with us. So if you haven't done that already, it's not too late. And hey, here's the thing. I wrote this in my email that I sent to the church. If you don't get that email, just sign up. Um, and, and you can get that email. I, I write an email pretty much every week, and I send it out to the church. And in that, I talked about this, and I said, if you miss any, anyone missed one of those five things over the last 20 days, don't put your hand up, because we probably all did. But we're not looking for perfection. We're looking to reestablish some structure in our life. And uh, here's, a, here's a little tip for you. If you look for perfection, you'll end up giving up. So we're not looking for perfection, we're looking to be perfected by establishing some structure in our lives. So uh, we're making steps towards that. And hey, here, I just want to encourage you, this is a great opportunity for us to engage people uh, in, in this 52 days. People kind of like something like this. I called my sister in England. I have two sisters Both of them live in England. One lives in Cornwall. The other one lives in the Cotswolds. Two nice places to visit in England. And um, I was talking to my younger sister. She posted a photograph of us when we were, you know, really young and living in Beirut in Lebanon. And I called her and we had a conversation. And I was talking about the ruins that we were in, the ruins of a a temple to Baal. Anyone read about Baal in the Bible? A place called Baalbek, uh, which is a famous temple in Lebanon. And I was talking about ruins and, and uh, got on the subject of what we're talking about, the ruined walls of Jerusalem. And I started talking to her about what we're doing, and she got very excited. She's not a Christian. She got very excited about it and started just 
saying, wow, this is awesome. This is very, this is very topical. You know, so much of our structure has been affected over the last 18 months. So this is really topical. This is awesome. And she said, I'm going to do it. Uh, and she, I, she, we started with the diet because that's the easiest place to start. She said, I'm going to do the diet. I'm going to drink plenty of water. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, and exercise. Yeah, I can do that. I can walk the dogs. And then we would start. That was, was kind of like the body. You know, we start as Christians with the spirit and end up with the body. People that aren't Christians try starting with the body first and then end up with the spirit. And so she then said, she said, but I'm not going to read my, I'm not going to read the Bible. And she laughed. And I said, why not? And they went quiet on the other end of the phone. And she said, well, I don't really know. Why not? I said, well, why don't you try it? She said, okay, I'm going to go to the summer house and I'm going to dig around and I've got a Bible there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read my Bible 15 minutes a day. I said, okay, well, I'll be checking up on you and uh, start with the New Testament. So my sister, who I, I've been a, a Christian for over 40 years, hadn't been able to get her to read her Bible for the first time. I had a conversation that stimulated her to get her Bible out and read it. And I'm praying that as she reads it, God's going to start to speak to her. So here's an opportunity for us to engage people. Hey, if they don't do all five things. And I said, well, you're probably not. And she said, she's going to go to church. She, she laughed. She said, no, I'm going to go down the, the park and meet all the people in the park with their dogs. I said, that's fine. You can do that. <laughs> so anyway, I want to encourage you. Uh, make the most of this opportunity to engage others in a call to action to rebuild some structure in our lives. So I want to continue with this series, and I'm praying that the things that we share with you are, are, are practical and they're things that can be applied to your personal life. And last week, I started on uh, a message which I'm going to continue today on this theme of rebuilding, 52 days of rebuilding, and we started to look at 52 days of opposition. If you're going to have 52 days of spiritual uh, building, get ready for 52 days of spiritual opposition. So I'm reading Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 9. Then I, that's Nehemiah, went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, and when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. First thing we need to remember is if we've started rebuilding in a spiritual capacity, the enemy will be deeply disturbed. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So in 52 days, 
Nehemiah and those who built with him rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down for over 140 years. Rehung the gates of the city, rebuilt the walls. That's two and a half miles of walls that were um, 40 feet high and eight feet thick in 52 days. But here's the interesting thing. The inhabitants of that city had been living in a city with walls that were broken down for 140 years. In 586 BC, the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. And it wasn't until 444 BC, over 140 years later, that Nehemiah rebuilt the city walls. Seventy years earlier, Zerubbabel began the rebuilding of the temple, but even after the temple was rebuilt, they didn't rebuild the city walls. And in ancient times, living in a city without city walls was inconceivable. If you go to Europe or you go to the Middle East, you'll visit castles. And all of those castles have walls, they have moats, they have drawbridges. Why? In order to defend themselves in order to protect themselves, in order to create security from their enemies. And so what was inconceivable, the people had become resigned to. And this is, this is important for us, that sometimes we can be resigned to things that ought not to be in our own lives or in our world. What was abnormal for the day had become normal. And so they were living for 70 years without any defense, without any protection, until Nehemiah arrived and he, he engaged the Jewish people at the time in the process of rebuilding the city walls. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 22, 28 says this. This is a very profound verse. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a Broke a city broken down without walls. So we have, in a sense, when we rule our spirit, when we rule our soul, when we rule our body, we are like a city with walls that have defense. But when those walls are broken down, we are defenseless. How many of you know that we need to build the walls of our minds? That we need to build strength, mental strength to resist the bombardment, probably more than any other generation because of the electronic bombardment, the notifications and all the rest of it that we live in in our environment. We need to rebuild those walls. How many of you know you need to guard your, your heart? You need to guard your emotions. You need to build walls so that you can be strong emotionally. Same with our physical body. Our physical body needs to be looked after. You know, when you're in your teens, you don't worry about that so much, maybe, unless you're an athlete. But you, we, we need to rebuild those walls. We don't need to live like a city with broken down walls. We can rebuild the structure of our lives, uh, and, and whatever's been broken down, whatever is in need of repair, whatever's in need of rebuilding, we can rebuild so that we can rule over our spirit. We can rule over our soul. We can rule 
over our physical bodies. And it all begins with rebuilding structure in our lives. You may think, well, what good does five minutes, 15 minutes in the Bible, 15 minutes of praying and coming to church, um, whether it's online or in person, and a diet, drinking water, water, exercising 20 minutes a day, what good will that do? I'll tell you, it'll do a lot of good because it begins to build structure in our lives. And it's amazing when we put structure in our lives, it builds strength and it becomes the framework from which other things can be built in our lives. So the enemy does not want us to rule over our spirits. So Paul said we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. If we're going to have 52 days of rebuilding, we're going to find that we are going to face 52 days of opposition. Let me ask a question here. Anyone faced any more opposition since you jumped into our 52 days? One or two. I know that I have. I know that we have. Die has. I know others who have as well. Sometimes you take a step, a spiritual step, and it seems like all hell breaks loose. Well, that means that you're, you're making progress. You're disturbing the enemy. And uh, just as in the way that there's, we might have 52 days of construction, the enemy's made a decision of 52 days of deconstruction while we're constructing. So I want to talk about, I've talked about five building blocks and five ways that we can build uh, structure in our lives. I want to talk about five ways that the enemy will try to defeat us. Five things that he will do to try to defeat us. Now, I'm going to move through these fairly quickly. I could spend a whole week on each one. But I want to, I want to wrap them up in, in one uh, message because I feel like that way we can get a handle, a grasp on what his tactics are. Last week, we talked about um, how the word Sanballat who was one of the chief protagonists and one of the chief opponents of the Jewish people, Sambalat literally means the enemy in secret or bramble bush. He is the enemy in secret. How many of you know that the enemy uh, is, we talked about this last week, he doesn't appear with a, you know, he, he, he doesn't show up on October the 31st in a red outfit with a pitchfork. He, he, no, he, he, Paul says he, he appears he, like an angel of light. He is undercover. He is an undercover agent working undercover to undermine everything that you and I are all about as followers of Christ. And Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, for us struggle is not against flesh and blood contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. We are spiritual beings with a spiritual destiny who face a spiritual enemy. And so uh, here are five things that the enemy will do before he attacks us with a full frontal assault. And I want to look at the, the things, five things, where the enemy will try to work 
without fully exposing himself that it is he that is at work. The first thing is that the enemy will always try, and this is a preempt, preempting the first point, but the enemy will always try to wear us down. Has anyone ever been worn down? Maybe you've got someone in your family who, who wants something, maybe one of your children who wants something, and they will keep asking and keep asking, and keep asking, and keep asking until you're worn down and you'll say, whatever. Jesus talked about the woman who was in bed and the man who came, the, the family that were in bed, and the man came knocking on the door asking for food and kept knocking and knocking and knocking and wore them down until eventually they answered. Well, the enemy, that's the way he works. He tries to wear us down. The phrase to wear down uh, literally means to make us weary, to make us old before our time. And in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, Daniel speaking about the end times, the last days, the days when the Antichrist is revealed, says this, this is the Antichrist. He shall speak words against the Most High, against God, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and half a time. So I'm not going to get into uh, an end time message here, but what uh, Daniel is seeing as he looks into the future, he sees a day when the enemy will be so... Uh, his, his, uh, his fury and his, his uh, anger will be so vented that he will be wearing down God's people through his activity. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, encourages us. He says, let us not grow, Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we do not give in. Jess talked about that this morning when she got up on the platform about God. Sometimes when you're waiting, um, we're wondering. But God, Paul reminds us, at the proper time we will reap. So don't give in. Don't become weary in doing good. So here we go. Here's the first strategy of the enemy uh, to wear us down. First of all, mocking and ridicule. Mocking and ridicule. Chapter 2, verse 19. When Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Chapter 4. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious, very indignant, mocked the Jews, and... He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? And Tobiah the Ammonite said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. In other words, the enemy was saying, who do they think they are? Do they, are they really serious? Do they really think that they're going to be Are you serious? I'm sure, I'm sure you've had... Hey, by the way, I talked about this last week. If you have a thought that comes into your mind, it's not necessarily yours. 
don't own it. Don't own every thought that comes into your mind because the enemy has the ability to put thoughts into your mind. And when that thought comes into your mind, don't own it. Send it where it belongs. So the enemy here was, have you ever had that thought? Well, what, what, what use is it? I mean, what's the point? Five things. What, what's the point of doing those things? Uh, do you really think they'll make a difference? I was, uh, we were filming this week. I was filming with William, and um, we were walking in here about to do our conversations over coffee. And I said to William, do you ever get thoughts in your mind like, you know, does anyone really want to listen to what we have to say? Is, 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 is what we're saying going to make any difference? Um, because I said, I, you know, every time, uh, you know, I, I, get some, I get thoughts, so what? And he said, he, he said he felt exactly the same. And we all do because the enemy's, one of the enemy's strategies is to mock and ridicule what we're doing. What's the point of going to church on Sunday? When you could be at the beach or you could be watching football on TV. What's the point of, you know, being disciplined and reading the Bible, that ancient book? What is the point? So, the, um, and the enemy will not only question, but he will, he will mock us and ridicule us. And you really think that's going to make a difference. So when we get those thoughts, recognize where they come from and send them where they belong. Don't let the enemy mock you. Don't let the enemy ridicule you. And this is what uh, Nehemiah said. He answered. He sent that thought, those, those mocking uh, thoughts where they despised and laughed at them and ridiculed them. He said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. There you go. I'm doing this because the God of heaven himself will prosper me. I'm doing this because the God of heaven himself will prosper prosper us. And then Tobias says, even a fox could break down this wall. And uh, the enemy will always try to remind us of our weakness. He'll go over, he'll hammer that point over and over and over again. Most of us have things about our physical appearance that we don't like. Not most of us, all of us. How much easier it is to focus on those things than the other things about our appearance. In exactly the same way, in our physical makeup, in our, in our, in our soul or our, um, our whole, the whole being of who we are, the enemy is always trying to always trying to point out our weaknesses. And so he'll try and focus on that. That's why even a fox would break it down. And the reason is his real concern as he points out his weakness is he's actually highlighting his weakness. Did you get that? When he's pointing out your weakness, he's highlighting his weakness because he knows that what you're doing is going to cause him to lose control over you. You're going to regain control over your own life. And that's exactly what was happening here. They were ridiculing them, but deep down they were afraid. They were afraid that they were losing control over the Jewish people. 
And so when the enemy reminds you of your weakness, understand it's not your weakness that's actually being highlighted. It's his weakness. And he's doing it because he knows he's losing control over you. Secondly, accusation. The second uh, tool of the enemy is accusation. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 19, they they said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Their motives were being accused. You are doing this as an act of rebellion. And the enemy will always try to um, accuse us and, 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 and question and accuse our motives. In other words, what makes you think you are qualified to be doing what you're doing? What makes you think that you're qualified to be rebuilding the walls? What about the mistakes that you've made? What about your inadequacies? What about the sin in your life? What about your failures? What about your weaknesses? One of the names of Satan is the accuser. He's like the person who is accusing you in the stand before God the judge. And so he is the accuser of the brethren. The enemy is always accusing you. He, has a, he is the accuser. And, and so he's always going to be reminding us of our failures, our inadequacies. And here's a thought. Here's a great thought. When the enemy reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. When he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And remind him that you are washed and cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you stand clean before God, that you are able to boldly make access into the throne room of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And your motive and your actions are all because you are responding to the Spirit of God at work in our lives. So, the second thing the enemy will try to do is he'll try to bring accusation to us. And if he doesn't bring it to us um, by accusing us directly, he will work through other people who will accuse us, accuse our motives. Just be aware that if you are building or rebuilding the walls of the church, there are people that are going to make accusation about our motives. Why are we doing that? Our motive. And yet, um, the reason for that is very clear. The enemy has always been and will always be the accuser of the brethren. So, we're going to have to push through that resistance of accusation, whether it's coming internally, whether he's trying to come against us internally, or whether it's externally through through others. Um, the third thing is, the third thing is that the third tactic of the enemy uh, or strategy of the enemy is intimidation. The enemy will always try to intimidate us. Nehemiah chapter six and verse five. Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor 
among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to the reports, you plan to be king. And he also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is the king of Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. And this is what Nehemiah replied. I reply, there is no truth to any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with greater determination. The enemy will always try to intimidate you. Have you ever heard that voice saying, this is what's going to happen? This is what is going to be the outcome? This is what your future looks like? And that voice is never painting a great picture of the future. That voice is always trying to intimidate us, to cause us to retreat into, ourse into ourselves and to stop pursuing what we're doing and continuing to do what we do with the same level of determination. And the way that, uh, the way that Nehemiah responded was he recognized what the enemy was doing. Paul said, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. When the enemy starts to intimidate you and, and cause you to shrink into yourself, and you start to hear the enemy telling you this is what is going to happen, this is what's going to be the outcome, then what we need to do is to continue to do what we do, recognize it and continue to do what we're doing with ever greater determination because the fact that he is trying to intimidate us is because he is afraid again of losing that control in our lives. I love the story of Goliath and David and Goliath, one of the great stories in the Bible where where Goliath says, give me a man that I may fight. And all the Israelites are intimidated and they run in the opposite direction until David comes and David sees Goliath and recognizes that Goliath is all talk and, that, and, and he's trying to intimidate them. And so he comes against Goliath with he says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. I will take your head from you and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air. That's the way you speak to the enemy when he intimidates you. You, you don't listen to any of that nonsense. You don't engage in it. He continued to do the work with greater determination. Why? Because he recognized the intimidation of the enemy. The next thing that the enemy will try to bring against us is discouragement. Here's number four, discouragement. Nehemiah 4.10, and the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. Anyone ever been tired? And there's so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Anyone felt that there's so much rubble and there's so much work and there's, it's impossible? And so they began to get discouraged. The rubble was so great. The task was so great. They became tired and discouraged. 
Discouragement is something we all face. David was discouraged. I'm sure that Jesus was discouraged. He went through every human emotion. Discouragement's not a sin. For some of you, that's a revelation. Discouragement isn't a sin. It's how we respond to discouragement that's important. David was discouraged, and what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And so, how do we respond to discouragement when we experience it? There's a story, a a fable about how the devil was having a garage sale or garage sale or a yard sale. And he was selling all his tools. And someone came up and said, I want to buy that one. And the devil said, no, that one's not for sale. He said, that is my most powerful, effective tool. It's the tool of discouragement, and it's not for sale. Because discouragement is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. All of us will feel discouraged. I'm sure that over the last 20 days of our 52 days, you have felt discouraged at one time or another. Guaranteed, 100%. Like Michael said, you could bet the barn on it uh, or the house on it or whatever, but we're not betting people, so we don't do that. Um, But all of you will have experienced discouragement. It's a normal human experience because the enemy will try to wear us down. He will try to discourage us. And it's not a failure, but it's something that we can overcome. And he overcame it because he made a decision that he was not going to allow that discouragement to move him. And he was was going to encourage himself in the Lord. I love this verse, Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know, have you not heard that the everlasting God The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And even to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths, like me, shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord in the midst of discouragement. I couldn't sleep last night. I don't know what it was. In the middle of the night, I woke up. I couldn't get back to sleep. I thought, have I, did I have coffee too late? No. I thought, what did I eat? Oh, maybe those two little chocolate dove ice creams that I had had something to do with it. And I lay on my bed, I was asleep, and I thought, David waited on the Lord in the night watches. So I'm waiting on the Lord right now. I'm encouraging myself in the Lord. I'm allowing the Spirit of God to speak to me. Every one of us will face discouragement. But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We will know what it is to run and not 
be discouraged, to walk and not faint. And then the fifth thing, in conclusion, the fifth thing is that the enemy will try to get us to compromise. So first of all, mockery and ridicule. Secondly, accusation. Thirdly, intimidation. Fourthly, discouragement. Fifthly, compromise. What do the enemy say? Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So they hadn't complete. They completed the wall, but the doors, the gates which speak of authority, thank you, they had not been hung yet. This was the final nail in the enemy's coffin. And before that happened, they, in a final ditch effort, they said, so Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. So there's the key. The enemy's going to try to get you to come down off the wall. He's going to try to get you to compromise. He's going to try to get you to, to uh, stop doing the things that you are doing that are finalizing or the restructure that you're engaged in. Why? Because he wants us to compromise. If he can't defeat us, he'll try to get us to compromise. Come, let's talk together. Let's reason together. Let's have a conversation about this. Let's see if I can water down your principles. Let's see if I can get you to come down off the wall. Because up there you're strong, but down here you're vulnerable. And so he said, I'm not going to come down. I'm engaged in a great work. You're engaged in a great work. You're rebuilding the walls. We're rebuilding the walls in our own lives, in our church. We're rebuilding the walls in our community. And we're not going to come down from the wall. And so finally, and I'm going to talk about this next week. Finally, they gave up their undercover uh, undermining of the work and they came out in an open full frontal attack on the people of God and I'll talk about next week about how we have to fight the good fight of faith and when we do we'll come out victorious but the enemy is going to try he's going to try through each one of those five ways through ridicule and mockery, through accusation, through intimidation, through discouragement, and through compromise. He's going to try to not only oppose us, but defeat us. Let's not heed his taunts and threats. Let's not listen to the accusations. Let's not be intimidated and give in to his intimidation. Let's not come down from the wall. And let's not stop the work. And let's keep building. And within 52 days, we have, we'll have rebuilt a structure that will be able to withstand the enemy's assault. 
Can you say amen to that? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Give Jesus a big hand of praise. Come on, let's sing that song, I Surrender. Let, can we sing a verse or two of that? All right. Come on, let's sing for a moment. And I want to encourage you as we do this. Just come before God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Let's pray that God the Holy Spirit would encourage where there's been discouragement. Where God would, would give us a sense of our, our identity in Christ, our strength in Him. And the good work that He's doing in each one of us. Come on, let's worship together. Father, I pray for each and every person here. I pray for those that have been feeling discouraged. Holy Spirit, may you encourage people today. We thank you for all of the promises of God that are in you, Christ Jesus, that are yes and amen. I pray, Lord, when the enemy has mocked and ridiculed or brought accusation against us and questioned our worth, questioned our worthiness, questioned and pointed out our failures and our weaknesses. Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would remind each and every one of us of the price that you paid so that our slate could be wiped clean, of who we are in Christ, of Lord, that when we feel that we are weak, Lord, you declare that we are strong in you. That when we feel unworthy, you declare that we are worthy because of what Christ did for us and the price that he paid. Lord, if we have compromised or the enemy would cause us to be tempted to compromise, help us, Lord, to stand firm, to stand strong. 
and to know that we can experience the strength, the encouragement, the peace of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may you breathe on each and every one. May you strengthen each and every one of us as we go. And may faith rise in our hearts as we continue to build. Because, Lord, we are engaged in a good work. And, Lord, we are doing all that we do for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory. That your kingdom might come and that your will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Just as we're in this moment of prayer, if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never made a decision, a conscious decision to accept Christ as your Savior, to accept what He did on the cross 2,000 years ago for each and every one of us when He died in our place and He took the penalty for our sins upon Himself so that we could be forgiven, we could be made right with God, we could be reunited with our Heavenly Father, know what it is to live with His Spirit working in and through us, to know His peace, His presence, His divine purpose in our life, and to know that we are eternal beings who have a destiny, not just here in time, but in eternity in heaven with Him. And if you've never, ever experienced that, I want to give, take a moment to pray a prayer and encourage you to pray this with us. And when you pray that prayer, Jesus is going to hear your prayer. God is going to answer your prayer. And it'll be the beginning of a whole new life. Knowing God's presence. Knowing what it is to be a follower of Christ. Knowing what it is to walk in relationship with God. You say, I don't know whether I deserve that. None of us deserve it. We are receiving that which we do not deserve because of the love and grace of God. So let's pray that together. And if you're praying it for the first time or making a recommitment of your life to Christ, let's pray it from the very depths of our hearts. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and I open up my heart and I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me. Give me a brand new start. Fill my life with your love, with your spirit. Give me a sense of purpose and destiny. And from this day on, I know that I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. If you have, if you prayed that prayer, we have a book that we'd love to give you called Following Jesus. And you can get that at the Connect Zone or if you're online, uh, there's a link there that you can click on or some directions that you'll receive on how to get that book and we gather on Sunday mornings before church for about 45 minutes you can grab a great cup of coffee and discuss basically the foundational principles of what it is to be a follower of Christ we'd love you to join us we'd love to give you that as a gift and help you take the next step in your walk with God and in in your future 
and in your destiny. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Our team are going to lead us in a song as we go out. Make sure you grab a cup of coffee. Come and meet us in the foyer after the service. Um, And can I encourage you? Do what you can this week to engage others that you know in the 52 days. They don't have to be uh, on, they don't have to be here. They could be anywhere in the world. But it's a great opportunity for us to connect with people in a way that will resonate with people, just like it did with my sister. It resonated with her. She said, this makes sense of what's happening right now. And whether it's, and, and also people who are a part of our church or a part of our wider uh, circle of influence, let's take the opportunity because I believe that God is using this and already we've had so many great reports of how it's helped people and, uh, and been, a, been a, a very effective way of helping people bring structure, healthy, positive structure in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person here. For those that are sick, I thank you that you are our healer. There's no sickness, there's no disease that is beyond the scope of your power. May you touch each and every one with your healing power. And Lord, I pray for your grace, for your provision in every area of people's lives, relationally, financially, in every area of their world. Lord, may you bring your grace, your strength, and your provision. And we thank you, Lord, for the peace of God that passes all understanding. May it be with each and every one as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Look forward to seeing you soon. For the cross that you bore and the death that you bear for the victory you won over death and the grave. This is the reason I sing. For the home that you give and the joy that you bring. For the promise that heaven is waiting for me. This is the reason I sing. For the cross that you bore and the death that you bear. For the victory you won over death in the grave. This is the reason I sing for the hope that you give and the joy that you bring. For the promise that heaven is waiting for me. This is the reason I sing. Jesus, the reason I say. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us, church, for service this morning. We love you. We'll see you back later on next Sunday.